Hello and welcome to the weekly sermon by White Sulphur Baptist of Georgetown, Kentucky. We hope that you find this resource encouraging and helpful. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, but we would love to see you in person on Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Merry Christmas, White Sulphur. It's good to see you this morning. A wonderful breakfast that we had together. Just a couple of things before we get started. One is that we do have a special uh, service tonight at 5.30 p.m. Um, that's going to be a, a shortened, simplified, more devotional type service. It's uh, going to be candlelight as we sing together. Um, and like, like I said, more devotional. So I'm, I'm not going to necessarily preach a whole sermon or anything like that. It's just a time to gather, uh, to focus our hearts and minds, and to, to really bring Christ uh, to the center of, of our thoughts, right, as we head into Christmas. And I, I think that it would be special if we do that as a family, as a church family together. Uh, if you're new or visiting with us, we have these next step cards or connection cards. Usually you can find them under your seats. Um, I would encourage you to fill those out, help us connect with you. And even if uh, you don't want to use it for that, on the back side of these cards, you can find a place to uh, put down some prayer requests. And as you leave this room here, there's a drop box on the right next to the office door. You can drop them right in there if you would like to. Let's pray together and we'll, uh, we'll get started this morning. Father, uh, we're just humbled and moved as we consider what has been done for us. As we have been talking about all month, we're, we're just grateful and moved to a place of worship that you sent your son, that he left heaven for us. That he came after us, that he pursued us, that he loved us, that he taught us, that he sacrificed for us. The grace that has been shown to us as sinful people, a grace completely undeserved, favor completely undeserved, and yet that's what we're met with by you. Father, I pray that that, that would fall heavy on our hearts and minds this morning as we spend time together in your word and singing your praises that Christmas time wouldn't be necessarily all light and fluffy, but there would be a serious kind of joy that comes with this season as we really think about the, uh, the cosmic events of the Incarnation. I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, if you're new or visiting with us, we've been going through this series for the month of December, uh, focusing on Advent. Advent is the anticipation of the coming of the Lord Jesus that happened in the New Testament. We find this in the Gospels, but it's also the remembering and the anticipating of his second coming. So when he's going to return for us. And each week we've taken a different, uh, a different idea, hope, joy, peace, and today love, and we've shown how that is rooted each one of those in the incarnation, the beginning of the good news, right? That's how Mark puts it at the beginning of his gospel. We take these four weeks to remember what happened over 2,000 years ago, that something was done for us. And then, like I said, this eager anticipation of what is still on the horizon for us. It's not just remembrance of a time that we anticipated something, but something that we're actively anticipating, which would be his second advent. And what I felt like was important to do before we kind of conclude this season uh, tonight with our, our last service is that we would ground ourselves and kind of root ourselves in the history of what is happening here. 
You see, Christians in 2023, we stand in this, this long line of faithful saints that have held and confessed their hope in the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. Spurgeon once said that anything new in theology is most assuredly false. And really what he was trying to get to was this idea that a lot of times you'll find pastors, theologians, uh, people in the church, that they want to create something new because it makes them uh, seem creative, right? It makes them seem insightful when looking at the scriptures. But we have to remember that, that what we hold to as Christians, the truth that we're hanging on to is ancient and unchanging. And that there's not anything new unless we're getting back from a falsehood to the Bible, And so, like I said, I wanted to ground us here this morning because it's not our charge to be creative. Our charge is to hold fast to the faith that was once for all delivered to us. That's our responsibility as Christians, is to hang on to what we know and what is unchanging. And if we go all the way back, uh, we find this thing called the Apostles' Creed that really started kind of uh, solidifying within a hundred years of Jesus' time on the earth. And the way that this was used in the early church was it was a creed or, or a confession of faith or a statement of faith like most churches have today. And they would say, okay, if you want to be baptized, then you confess this, which is a summary of what we believe, and then we'll baptize you. It was a public confession of faith. And this is, this is how it reads, at least in part. And this is what Christians were confessing all the way back then. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. And so within a hundred years right, of Jesus' life on this earth, uh, gospel writers are likely still alive at this time. The Apostles' Creed wasn't written by the apostles. It's a summary of their teachings. Within a hundred years, Christians are saying, this is what it means to be a Christian. You'll confess that the Lord was born of a Virgin Mary. That's, this is unchanging. We, we can fast forward to 325 AD, the Nicene Creed, which, like, like I said, was first uh, began to be formulated in 325 at the Council of Nicaea, which was assembled to refute Arianism. Arianism taught that Jesus was not fully God. There was a great error cropping up in the church, and they said we have to do something about this. We have to, ref- we have to refute this error that is going to lead people astray. And so faithful Christians of the time put together an official statement, right? A statement of faith, something to point towards that would refute this error. This statement of faith was finalized in 589 AD. And again, in part, this is what it says. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. Of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. And for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge living the dead. His kingdom will never end. 
And so we see from the first hundred years, right, or less than, after Jesus walked on the earth, fast forward to 580-something, right, A.D., we're seeing the Christians are still confessing the same thing. We're saying that it hasn't been lost, that it has been hung on to, that they believe these things, that our heritage is this doctrine of the Incarnation. And I could keep going and going and going because Christians have a long history of putting what they believe on paper in a summary form so they can say, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Fast forward all the way to today. I'm going to skip literally dozens, if not hundreds, of other statements of faith that all confess the same thing. All the way to what our church holds to, the Baptist faith and message of 2000. And it says this, Christ is the eternal Son of God. In his incarnation, as Jesus Christ, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus, Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identity himself completely with mankind, yet without sin. So what we're, we're standing in the line of something. This isn't new. This is just our time to be confessing these things. It's our turn. I wanted to ground us in the history of our faith. And what we remember and anticipate during Advent is both ancient and imminent. It's right here. It's right now. It affects the way that we live today. And yet it's rooted in thousands upon thousands of years of history. We worship a Savior who has no beginning and yet was born in a manger. We remember and anticipate not merely for our own blessings, but as a duty to hold fast to the thing that has been handed to us. The baton is now in our hands. This is our time to confess these things. And the question is, is it going to make it into the hands of the next generation? Or are we the ones that end up dropping that baton, failing to pass on the truth that has been given to us? All of this history, is, it's, it's really just part of the story of God's love for us and his good plan to make all things right again. And this leads us to our passage this morning. So John 13, 33 through 35. If you have a Bible or you have a phone, you can pull it up on Google, whatever you want to use. John 13, 33 through 35. It reads like this. Little children, again, this is Jesus speaking. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new command. Love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Really, our focus for this morning is going to be verse 34, where it says, just as I have loved you. Love one another just as I have loved you. And how does he do that? How are we loved? What is he talking about? What is he referencing in that moment? Number one is he loves us by searching us out. What we've been talking about all month is how Jesus left heaven to come find us, right? We couldn't ascend to him. There's no moral way to climb some righteousness ladder and get ourselves into heaven. We had to wait for a savior. Matthew 18, 12 through 14 says, if someone has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go and search for the stray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than over the 99 that did not go astray. And in the same way, is it not the will of your Father in heaven that none of these little ones should perish? So he goes looking for the thing that he finds valuable. 
But what we have to let fall on us is that we were that thing that he found valuable even when there was nothing valuable in us. And when we were still sinners, that's when Christ came for us, not when we earned it somehow. You think, so think about this. If you're looking for something that you really want, you put a lot of work into it, right? So what came to my mind was uh, when, I'm, when it's time for me to start looking for a new car or a new truck, I tend to over-research things. Right? I start to ask a lot of questions. I'll check in with people that have that model. How do you like it? Can I look at it? Right? I'll start reading reviews on the internet, whatever that might be. And then when it's time to go find it, I mean, I'll look everywhere for the one that I want. Right? Like, I want the right color. I want the right year. I want the right amount of miles. I don't want them to be too high. I had a friend uh, that actually flew out of state to find the exact F-150 that he was looking for and then drive it back home. When we finally locate that thing that we're looking for, we might even uh, celebrate it, right? We tell our friends or we'll post a picture on Facebook or Instagram or whatever the case might be. But we're going we're gonna to show off that thing that we found. Look, I got it. Here, it. here it is. I'm excited about it. Maybe it's not a car, but maybe it's like a, a special guitar or like the KitchenAid mixer that you've been looking for. Or the, that deer rifle, right, that's custom made. Whatever the object may be that we've been searching for, when we find it, we celebrate it. We bring attention to it. We show how much we love and adore this thing. So it is with your father when he found you. That's the love that he has. That's, that's not even an ounce of the love that he has for you. That he would leave heaven to come and find you. The value that he finds in you. You were lost. You were tangled in sin. And Jesus came for you like the good shepherd that he is. He went looking for that sheep that had gone astray. And that's you. Secondly, he loves us by building us up. So he left heaven to come look for us. He finds us and then he builds us up. Matthew 9, 35 says that Jesus continued going around to all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news to the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. Right? So he, he didn't just come to find, but he came to, we're going to do something together. We're going to have this relationship. There's more that must be done in your lives. When Jesus came to earth and he saw the people, and they were like, they were like sheep without a shepherd, he brought them into his pasture. Right? He opened the gates. He brings them in. And he says, I will take care of you. The love for Jesus, the love that Jesus has for you, it doesn't, it doesn't peak at salvation. Right? It doesn't peak at your conversion experience that's just part of it but then for the rest of your life and then into eternity it's an ever-increasing love and joy that cannot be exhausted he continues to nurture you as an infant in the faith and then he faithfully waters you like a young plant just breaking free from the shell of its seed he works in your heart and your mind and your actions to continually increasingly free you from the effects of sin in your life. He doesn't just save you and then put you on a shelf. He saves you. He's like, now there's work to be done. I'm going to begin to, to mold you, to shape you, to grow you, to help you to flourish, right? To, to grow up into all things in righteousness. And what he does, he, he does this through his word. He does this in your life through his word. When he walked the earth, he taught and he preached everywhere that he went. Right? That, was, that was why he came. He says that in Mark. I've come to preach. He goes out into the villages and he says, this is the problem that you have. This is the solution. That's the gospel. That's the good news that you're not left to your own devices any longer. He continues to teach and to preach and to build us up as Christians through the scriptures today. So again, that hasn't stopped 
this continues. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, Paul says that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Did you hear that? So that the, the man of God, the person, right? So that any person may be complete. That's what the scriptures are good for. That's what the, the teachings of Christ are good for. The writings of the apostles are good for completing a person. You're not complete, right, at your conversion experience. That's the beginning. And then you step into all that Christ has for you and all the ways that he's going to continue to love you. You find yourself wishing that you could hear Jesus speak just lovingly to you. You know, I hear people say, like, I wish that I could be like one of the disciples, right? And just sit at his feet and just listen to his teachings and and listen to him talk about how much he loves his sheep and listen to these things and just feel that for myself. Or I wish that I could sit there and have this conversation with him and, and say, like, what should I do in this moment? What should I be doing in this season of life that doesn't seem to make sense? Why am I experiencing this horrible season right at Christmas time? Like, I wish I could have that conversation. I wish I could hear what Jesus would say to me. But the thing is that it's, it's all here. It's, it's in these scriptures. These are his words to his people. Paul reminds us that this is sufficient for building one up in righteousness, to making, for making a person complete. It's all right here that you, you actually have been left with all the words that he would speak to you. Everything that you need to get through life. They're alive because they're com- these words are coming from the same mouth that told the sun where to hang. The same mouth that told your heart to start beating. That's where this is coming from. That's the same author that we read here. Thirdly, maybe most supremely, he loved us by sacrificing for us. See, the, the manger, what we've been talking about all month, it has to be spoken of within the shadow of the cross. Because without the cross, the manger doesn't mean anything. Without the manger, the prophecy isn't fulfilled and the wrong guy died on the cross. These two things go together. One testifies to the other. One is the completion of the first. He came to be with us. He came to teach us. And like I said, most supremely, the way that he loved us is he came to sacrifice for us. John 3, 14 through 18, again, Jesus speaking, says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He loved the world in this way, that he gave, right, that he sacrificed. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. So what we see is that Jesus, standing in, in the tradition of his ancestors, right? We know he, he's coming from the line of David. David was this great king, warrior, had lots of faults also, but he started off as a shepherd. 
He started off as someone unimpressive, right? He didn't look like a king, so he wasn't picked initially. But we know that David was a pretty fierce guy, even in his younger age, because he would fight lions, he would fight bears, whatever the predators might be. He would defend the sheep like a shepherd is supposed to. So Jesus, following in the tradition of his ancestors, he died on the cross to save us from our sin, to save us, from the wrath of God against that sin. And the, the greatest, fiercest, most evil, ferocious predator, which is Satan. He saved us from those three things together and the effects of them. Jesus is this supreme shepherd, the ultimate shepherd. The way he loves is that he goes after, right? He finds the ones that have gone astray. Then he leads us to what we need. He brings us to the still waters, to the green pastures. And he'll even lay his life down to save us. That's how Jesus loves. He loves like a shepherd. Sin is a spiritual infection. Something that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Something that we're all born with. That we're all affected by. Every part of us has, has felt the impacts of sin. Whether it be in the world or in our, in our own hearts. We see this through the ways that we hurt people with our words. We see this through the ways that we're hurt by people in the way that they talk. We see this in broken relationships. We see this in addiction. We see this in abuse, idolatry, putting something before God in our hearts. We feel the effects of this thing that is pervasive in our world today. Even even creation, right? Lower creation, plants, animals, weather systems have been affected by this thing, sin. Nothing is the way that it should be. Jesus comes to save us from that. And then God's wrath against sin. And this means that that because we have, as a people, rebelled against God, that we have committed a cosmic crime against the king, the one who establishes the justice system. It's his to establish. We've broken the laws and the rules. And because of that, there's a righteous wrath that is poured out against sin. But yet in God's grace and in his mercy, he provides another way. He will not excuse sin. He will not make provision for sin. But he will find another way for it to be dealt with, for it to be paid, for your debt to be cleared before him. God would be righteous and just to send everybody to hell because of the rebellion. And yet he doesn't. And yet he provided a sacrifice for us in Jesus Christ. And before becoming Christians, we are what the Bible calls children of Satan. And even without knowing, we serve him and his plans to steal God's glory and to blaspheme his name. And Jesus came to save us from that. His love for us saves us from every possible danger that we can think of. Whether it be coming from within ourselves or from outside of ourselves, this world is messed up. Our hearts are messed up. And Jesus came to set those things right. All of this is what Jesus came to save you from. Like I said, that baby in the manger is just the beginning of the good news. We have to speak of the manger within the shadow of the cross. And as that baby in a manger began to grow, some people don't realize this, but yes, he did have to grow up. Right? It says that he grew in knowledge. 
And as he was thinking about these things, you see that he's like 11 or 12 years old. His parents find him teaching in a synagogue, right, in his father's house. So even at that young age, he understood what he was doing. The the fullness of the deity of God was in that boy at that time. And so what this means, if we really think this through, if he has the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, if he knows the plan, if he knows why he's here, if he knows all things, just like God does, because he is God, then we know that our names were on his mind as he was contemplating how his life would end. As he was thinking about what he was here to do, to fulfill the Father's will, to keep the plan, right, to bring about the conclusion of this redemption plan, then your name is what he was thinking about. Individually, not just collectively, but a personal relationship is what he desired and was thinking of as he was growing, as he was preparing to go to that cross. You see, Advent is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We worship Jesus. We anticipate Jesus. We're excited about Jesus. We praise Jesus. We worship Jesus. And yet all of that's for you. It's something that's been done for you. It's not about you, but it's for you. You get to benefit from it. You get the blessings of all of the work that Jesus did. And this is at the core of what it means to understand the gospel, that I could not earn the thing that has been given to me, this free gift that has been extended out. It's so cliche, but we talk about gifts on Christmas, right? There is no greater gift than that of God's grace to you in your life. There isn't. It was something that you could not ever achieve on your own. And out of love, it came down from heaven and was handed to you. That, my friends, is how he continues to love us. John 13, we jump back there where we started. Let's us uh, think about this a little bit more. It says, I give you a, a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. Remember I said that was the key, verse 34. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, if you love one another. He loves us by searching us out. He loves us by building us up. He loves us by sacrificing himself for us. Jesus tells us in John 13, you are also to love one another. So as we gather with family today and tomorrow, whether that be around a table or around a Christmas tree, there's going to be people in that room that need to be loved. There's going to be people in that room that uh, aren't settled at Christmas, that aren't completely at peace, that haven't felt the joy to the world. And Jesus says that you're to love each other as I have loved you. Who around that table or around that Christmas tree is going to need to be loved today and tomorrow? Who is it that needs to experience this grace? Again, unmerited favor. We know how difficult family gatherings can be, right? There's always that uncle or whoever it may be in your family, right, that that stirs things up. It's that person. And yet what Jesus is saying is, is love each other as I have loved you. And I'll tell you, I wasn't lovable when Jesus loved me. 
It was undeserved. And that's what he's asking of us. That's a a marker of how we interact with those around us. And we have such a unique opportunity today and tomorrow for these people, uh, whether out of begrudging obligation or whatever the case may be, to gather with us and for us to witness to them simply by loving them where they are. That's a unique opportunity that we don't get the rest of the year. Mark, if you want to join me, this would be a good time. The good news that Jesus was born, he lived a sinless life. He died as a sacrifice in the place of sinners. Seems to be especially on people's minds this time of year. You can go into almost any store and Christian songs are playing, right? Talking about the Savior that came to the world. That's a unique time of year. There's a unique, I would say, at least for the time being, still a softness to the gospel this time of year. That it's not completely offensive this time of year. I don't want this to to just be something that's on your mind. I want this to be a truth that you believe. That makes it from your mind to your heart. that, That stirs up affections for Christ and for other people, not just intellectual acceptance of facts. And then from there, what's being done in your heart works its way out of your mouth to the people around you. It has to go through that whole cycle for this to make sense, for this to be like what Jesus said it would be. Here's something else. I would be willing to bet there's people listening to me, whether they're in this room or on Facebook, um, that, that haven't made that decision yet, right? That haven't um, said yes to Jesus, that haven't placed their faith in him or their trust in him or however you want to phrase that. They're the ones trailing at a distance. Maybe they're watching, maybe they are listening, or maybe they're here just because their family drug them here. Right? It's Christmas time, so I'm kind of obligated to be there. I'll also see you guys again on Easter. That's not going to do you any good. It's not. This, you, don't, uh, you don't buy a ticket and jump on the bus, and then that just carries you to heaven. No, you, you have to place your faith in Christ and say, I believe that what he has done for me is sufficient to pay for my sins, that all of my forgiveness and all of the grace is found in him. I'm just going to trust that that was done for me. I'm going to say yes to that Savior that was in the manger that then died on the cross. If that's you this morning, come and find me at the end of this. Come and find me after service. Come and find me at any point during the week. Find one of the good, faithful Christians that's in this room this morning. But I would just just plead with you to accept what is being handed to you this morning. That gift is, uh, is only good for so long. When the lights go out, when this is all over, it's over. The time to open gifts is done. You could say that Christmas is over at that point. So eternity hangs in the balance as we talk about these things. That's why I said that I, that's why I prayed that there would be this kind of serious joy that we find. This kind of seriousness that we also can find peace and rejoice in at this time of year. Because it's not frivolous. Again, I will be at the front if that is a decision that you would like to make this morning. Let's pray together. Father, you are a wonderful God. You are you're rich in mercy. You are rich in grace. Your storehouses of these things, they cannot be exhausted. And we just want to sit and admire you 
for that. Father, I thank you for the people that are here this morning, the ones that that are here that, that love you, that are ready to worship. Father, I pray for the ones that are suffering, the ones that are sick, the ones that are depressed and anxious this time of year, that they would hold on to the promises that you have given, that they would find their peace, their hope, their love, their joy, rooted in Christ, your son, the one thing that cannot be taken from them. Pray that you would do a work in the hearts of us this morning as we sing this song. I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.